0: This time of the year, is was always a massive part of the rowing calendar. We have the Oxford and Cambridge boat race coming up on the 24th of March. And this year is a special regattos for South Africans with William Carhill competing in the number three seat in the Oxford boat. William has raced in South Africa for a number of years, competing for the University of Cape Town rowing club at the boat races in the Cuyahue River. Now we chat to him as he is gearing up for the massive event that's gonna happen next weekend. And in our conversation today with William, we get into a number of elements of his running in England. We we chat to him about his training that he's been doing towards the, the event. Obviously it's it's quite big things to look
1: out for are just talking about the professionalism of their of their team, uh, the elements of their team that they, they've really tried to work hard on how, how seriously they take the race and just the training in general is is, is really competitive.
0: No it's gonna it's gonna be a, a great regatta this year, especially being with Will being in there as it adds a special entrance for also Africans out there.
1: It's gonna be really really epic i've watched it every year for as long as i can remember my grandfather was at oxford so ever since i was little we always used to, to switch on the oxford cambridge uh, boat race and and watch it and always support oxford and yeah i cannot wait to watch them race
0: you know one of the the the, the funny things about any south african going to england is the weather and it was it was quite funny chatting to w- uh, william about how he adapted to the the weather on the other side there
1: it's so different to a, to a normal two k race that uh, there are a lot of little elements that they 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 completely focused on and. and which we would not even think about, I think.
0: And another unique thing about the Stregattas is is that Oxford and Cambridge just race against each other and this is what they train through the whole year. So catching up with Warren, just talking about the psychology and the attitude that they approach to the rivalry and how that permeates in their training and their daily lives in the UK. Yeah, I'm
1: getting the balance between really worrying about your boat, your performance and your training and also really wanting to beat the, the opposition. As you said, there's only two of them. So I think it's very easy to get caught up in this like huge rivalry, between Oxford and Cambridge,
0: you can follow Will on Instagram. His tag is WillCoyleZA, and you can also find them on Facebook on the same name.
1: Uh, we really love to hear your your input on the on the show. Any ideas that you have, and really keep an ear out for the next few weeks because we have some really exciting shit coming your guys' way.
0: Yeah, so we have up to this point just been chatting to South Africans, but we're looking to expand the horizons and start chatting to a couple of international members of their own community so really stay tuned for those amazing episodes
1: yeah, and if you have any ideas of of athletes you really want to hear from, hook us up with a with a with a message, comment, into one of our it pictures. It'd be really really cool to to hear who you guys want to want to hear from and uh, then we'll try and uh, get that interview done. If you want to get hold of us, uh, find us on Instagram at uh, the Rocha SA. The email
0: address is at the at gmail.com. Lawrence and I thoroughly enjoyed recording this episode and we trust that you guys will really enjoy this episode and and chatting to you know almost a different aspect of rowing anyway we've said our piece and i hope you enjoy the rest of the show yeah boy enjoy
1: the show welcome to the road show we are your hosts rance britain and jay green this is a podcast we're going to be going into everything related to sport and performance and we're also going to talk a bit about rowing in south africa
0: my my brings people together breaks That'll down be barriers
1: yeah, right. my passion winning be the best to be the best is something we
0: strive for and and passion. great life. passion fiction gold ultimate gold glory
1: relentless training
0: pain Pain. <laughs> how's it going guys on this episode of the road show we are going to be chatting to will um with boat race coming up we thought it'd be a great opportunity to chat a bit about the occasion, and we're very lucky to be chatting to Will, who's competing in the Oxford boat in the number three seat.
2: How's it going, Jake? How's it going, Lawrence? Um, thanks so much, and, and congrats for your show as well. It's pretty epic. I've listened to some of the stuff, and it's, it's really interesting and great to have a listen to, to a lot of the athletes and the coaches around the country.
1: Yeah, and it's very cool to have you on. Um, so, I think first up, let's get uh, straight into to how the training has been, and yeah, so let let us know how the training's been going for the, the last because obviously you've been training for quite a while now. Uh,
2: yeah, it's um, I mean, there's obviously two aspects to training: there's the uh, the physical side, de- developing the physiology, and there's obviously also the, the technical side and making sure the boat's rowing rhythmically and then everyone's in time. Uh, it's been going well. Um, you know, we, the philosophy of this club is leave no stones unturned, so we're always trying different things and different combinations and you know one lineup changes one week and becomes a new one the following week but it's, it's going pretty well i think we're, we're pretty confident going in, into the next the final two weeks before the race uh we've had some good fixtures against some good crews uh, oxford brooks being one of the better fixtures uh, well, one of the better teams that we've raced against we marginally lost to them which is a bit disappointing uh but they are a very strong crew and it was good kind of gauge to see where we we're at that was about two or three weeks ago that we raced them uh, but yeah the training's been going alright it's been a very very long process uh, but I'm pretty happy with where we're at at the moment
1: and then is the the selection is, is finished at this stage obviously by the time there's way in and the crew announcement is that when there's the from a coaching side that the selection is done
2: um, to be honest I'd say the final well the official crew announcements more of kind of a media ceremonial thing uh, so anything can really change after that and you know Year by year changes. In some years, they've made the final selection three months out because it was pretty clear and obvious. In other years, uh, like this year, for instance, I think it's it's been ongoing. And uh, certainly after the announcement, I don't think there was 100% a sense of the crew being finalised. Uh, but more or less, kind of leading into the final month, you want to obviously be settling down and getting guys used to each other and used to a certain combination. So I'd say yeah, it's a, the announcement is kind of where the final selection is, but anything can change afterwards.
1: Yeah, for
0: sure. And chat, chat to us about what your um, selection process was like. Did you did you feel fairly confident in your abilities of making the first crew, or was it, it was a bit was it a bit of a touch and go thing all all the way through to you know the last the last moment of the of the selection?
2: Sure. Um Well, should I take you all the way back to my first season last year or should I just start from... No, let's go back. Let's go all the way back. back. (laughs) Okay, Um, yeah. I mean, if I take myself all the way back, I guess I was... uh, I've always kind of backed myself a little bit and I was very confident that I could give something a a big go. I'm I'm very much aware that I'm not the largest person in the world. I'm not the tallest person in the world. So jumping on a program like this which attracts some of those very large internationals, I was aware that i would have to be kind of putting in a very big effort if I wanted to be competitive. Uh, in my first year, you know, I rocked up uh, coming from UCT. I'd kind of stagnated at the same 5K time and I uh, thought it was pretty decent. learned very quickly that it was way off the mark. Um, and so I found myself quite early on in my first year just fighting for a seat in the reserve boat, to be honest. Um, uh, early on, I was actually in the skull for a bit and then what we termed the the Battleship, which was kind of like four guys who were a little bit out of it. (laughs) Um, But anyway, jumping onto the program and the physiological side of it was really good and I I managed to develop aerobically uh, quite nicely in the first two, three months. And so I find my second 5K was a little bit better, uh, well quite a bit better. I shaved off about 40 seconds from my previous. It's
1: quite a a big jump. (laughs) Yeah.
2: I mean, it's just that the program is so geared towards aerobic development uh, and you know, no discredits any of the programs I've been involved in in the past. But it was really kind of very much focused on that. We're not looking at things like 2K sprints or anything like that. It's very much for a long nutritional race. Uh, but anyway, so in that year, I then I guess I found myself competing for a seat in the ISIS boats and uh, and, and
1: so this is this is this all this all last year, hey? This
2: is all last yeah, year. So, yeah, so 2017
1: yeah. is your first year in the in that, at, at Oxford that,
2: uh, that's right yeah so I mean I joined 2016 and then obviously the next the, the boat race would be the following year yeah um, yeah that's right uh, and it was a very kind of a very nice ISIS boat that I ended up being in it was a very competitive squad last year there's a lot of big internationals a couple of guys straight back from Rio um, and I was, I was very proud to be in the boat that I was in and, and from a personal point of view I think the development physiologically and technically that I went through uh, was quite substantive and I was really happy about that. I guess coming into the program I was probably a little bit naive as to uh, what my at the time capabilities were Um, and you you learn very quickly that there is a standard that you have to match and you know the great thing is when there is a standard you have to match I guess you you can either adapt or die and uh, and I I did my best to try and adapt. Yeah and then uh, following on coming into this year to answer your question, Jake, um, how I felt about it, I always knew it was going to be a tough one for me. Um, again, same thing. You know, I'm not the tallest, biggest guy in the world. I'd have to really work hard. And I, in the summer period, we had about three months off before we started training again. I spent pretty much every day just doing high volume work on the erg, uh, probably fitting in a good 90 minutes at least in one one spell each day, um, and that was just to develop myself aerobically. Um, and I guess that was probably to give myself the best chance really so I knew it would always be um, you know, I'm I'm never going to be the person who's top two picks for a boat like that because I'm just not tall or big enough and I knew I'd have to fight for the back end of the boat and uh, yeah this year presented a couple of challenges I I had to switch sides to bow side just uh, from a a squad dynamic point of view it made sense Um, I knew it would probably be giving me a better shot at making it as well
1: so is that, something, is that something you decided to, to do because you would have a better shot or something the coaches wanted you to do?
2: Uh, it was a combination of both, really. You know, I, I, was, I was quite aware of what the kind of lineups and the ordering is going to be and, and it's quite a brutal system. You kind of, it's very clear and obvious what the ranking order is. Uh, not brutal in the sense by design, just by, you know, the way they're very honest about how things are. But, uh, yeah, it, it was kind of, I knew that if I had, a, I, I was very, I put my hand up, basically. Um, we needed to get some guys over. Um, we had a couple of lightweights on, on the bar side, and uh, we needed some more power over. Not to say I'm the most powerful person in the world, but I did represent bringing a little bit of power over to the bar side. And, um, yeah, so I, I did that, and it was, it was three months of, of <laughs> very challenging times. I got a little bit injured on my left arm. As a result, and so the selection process was a bit kind of up and down. As, as a result of that, I knew I was taking a bit of a gamble, but it, uh, it seems to have paid off so far, yes.
0: No, that's cool. And uh, well, you've chat a lot about the, the physical side of, of things, and you know, one area where you can make a huge difference is the technical aspects of rowing. Chat to us about your development technically, and what kind of things did you identify early that you would need to improve?
2: Um, yeah, that's a really good question. Uh, you know, as you guys know, I'm, I'm not, uh, and I've said a couple of times already, I'm, I'm not very tall, so length is something that I, will always kind of struggle with.
0: Don't worry, Lawrence um, knows, <laughs> not, Lawrence knows plenty about that.
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: I wasn't like, the tallest uh, athlete around.
2: <laughs> yeah, and, and that presents as challenges, really, because, you know, and one side, you can kind of get a bit paranoid about not being long enough. And, and certainly throughout my rowing, that's something that I, I think has affected me a little bit. And you start doing things to try and get that extra reach, which actually probably aren't effective. But early on, I mean, my you know I used to try and like really reach over like to the back end and, and get that length there early and then slide up and have that length in place, but never really felt that comfortable. we get a bit of back strain and all that. Um, and earlier on, the coaches last year, they just said, look, you have a range. You've got to row effectively within that range. And the the best way to make your, your length more effective or to get more length is to have a very kind of solid front end catch that's on time and not missing any water. Um, yeah, because so it's,
1: it's, it just goes to that point of you, you can reach as far as you want, but if you don't connect to the water up front, then you, you don't get that, that your length is, is how much time you connected in the water, not necessarily how far you're reaching.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, uh, it, it takes great discipline to kind of commit to that, doesn't it? Um, and, and, you know, when you look at yourself being a shorter person to, to try and like, really make sure that you're effective and, and as long as possible, but you know not compromising on, on either of those really.
1: So let's go um, back to the training a little bit. How, how much do you guys train on the course? Because I mean, I know you guys train away from, from the course most of the time, but then do you have times where you, you get on the course and you row there?
2: Sure, yeah, that's, that's, that's a good question. Um, I'll just tell you about, it. we have three places that we kind of tend to train at the most. The, our home piece of water is in a place called Wallingford. So this place, Wallingford, has about eight k's between locks, which is eight, nine k's, which is quite effective. The other place we train at is a place called Caversham, which is where uh, it's, it's the Redgrave Grave National Training Centre, which is where the GB guys are. Yeah. Uh, and then obviously back to your question on Irons, which is uh, how much do we actually train on the, the championship course on the Tideway in London? And uh, the answer really is, um, you know, as often as possible, we look a lot at the weather. Uh, if it's out of hand, you know, we, we tend to go where, where it's better. And then obviously, there are fixtures that we do that are strictly on the tideway as well. So, this year we raced against Thames, which are kind of informal fixtures, but along the course, we're on the course. Uh, and then, you know, this coming to this final two weeks now, we're actually leaving tomorrow for London and we'll spend the final two weeks training on the course, doing a couple of stake boats, uh, start practices. And really, just getting used to the water. It's a very difficult body of water to, to row, and there's a lot of a lot of eddies, and there's you know it's, it's a it's a tidal river as well, and it's it's quite a, a thing that you need to get used to.
1: Yes, and the the race tactics probably pay the the biggest impact out of any race in the world. So I would just imagine that there's a lot of talk about the racing line and the course, and 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 all of those aspects that you you don't really think about when you're racing two k's dead straight.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, there's there's two sides, there's the Surrey side and the Middlesex side. Uh, each has their advantages, you know, just like the boat race in South Africa and you, you've got to be quite strategic about uh, picking which side you think will be in most advanced. Um, you know, if you, you know, these days the race often goes to the line or, or close to the line and so you know, you've got to be very careful about which side you pick to give yourself an advantage later on, or if you wanna try and stamp down your authority early on, pick the one that has the early bend for you and try and pull in front of the other crew and wash them down, I guess.
0: And uh, well, you've—I mean, you've—you've you've mentioned it now—the South African boat race. So, um, could you could you just explain to the listeners um, briefly about the differences you have found between racing boat race in South Africa and the tactics and the course compared to the UK's boat race?
2: TCR. Um, I mean, we can speak hours and end about this. Uh, I mean, for sure. You know, the main difference is, I guess, in terms of preparing for the boat race. If you look at like the existence of the clubs is purely just to race and win the boat race. So for the good eight seven months, that's that's all we're really thinking about. You know, back home it's it's more of a shorter period, I guess. You know, there's a different season, there's a sprint season, and uh, everything we do here is, is geared towards that. So all the training is 100% towards developing. The aerobic capacity, uh, even the the technical side, is a little bit more geared towards a long distance race. You know, for instance, in a 2k sprint, you're in the high 30s, 40s on rate the whole way down. Whereas here, you've got to find like a good settle rate at around maybe 35, 36. I'm not going to say too much more because probably shouldn't reveal. <laughs> yeah, you don't, know, want, you don't you don't
0: want, want to reveal the the um, book of secrets.
2: Yeah, yeah. So I've actually got to be really careful what I say. <laughs> um, <laughs> But then the actual, the race course itself, you know, I think the South African University's boat race is, you know, designed to mimic that of, of the uh, the Oxford Cambridge boat race. And I think it comes pretty close. You know, the river's very different. Uh, the tideway in London is, is a lot thicker. Um, there's, I think, you know... The, there's, there are a lot more narrower places on the Kaui than there are on the Tideway. Um, so you can kind of almost hit the bank often <laughs> in Port Alfred, which is a different dynamic. You can shoot the bridge and all that. But that being said, you know, the margin barrier is probably just the same on, on the Tideway. It's it's just a little bit more difficult to find where the quick water is. Yeah,
1: because, like, I, was, I always think about the difference being... And in the South african one because you're saying the, the river's narrow the corners are more important so you gain a lot more advantage quickly around the corners on the kawi whereas on the Thames that flowing water is more important so to be in the stream and to be to be getting that uh, advantage for the long time in the in the stream around the corner that's where and so the race often on the Thames goes on for much longer whereas on the kawi the race can be over. In the first two Ks, really.
2: Yeah, you're absolutely right about that. Um, you know, and, and especially in the Cowrie, I think if you if the race goes on to Lady Start, you're in for a very interesting corner or round, aren't you? Because it's often crashes right there. Aren't yeah,
1: because yeah. the corner is just they's so much narrower and so much tighter.
2: Yeah, I remember back at UCT, we always hoped we'd keep you guys to that corner. I think you just pipped us every time, and then the race is more or less kind of in your hands
0: yeah no that's that first two case strokes can get quite nerve-wracking the
2: 2014 the 2014
0: race especially i've never been so nervous before in my life (laughs) yeah Well, talking about the
1: start how important is the start of the boat race for you guys and to get up and and get that mental advantage
2: yeah it's it's it's, i mean it's that's a very good question as well the start is unlike anything uh the actual first stroke is unlike any any other race in the world i think uh you know you're stationary. You've got stake holding you down, and you've got this tide pumping underneath you, and and the tide really is pumping very fast. You know, so much so that if, if you were to fall in the river there, it's actually quite a dangerous thing because the tide's moving so quickly. Um, so you, you you're sitting stationary, and I'm sure don't, you guys have noticed Don't be so
1: British, Will. Yeah, I'm <laughs> sure you'll be okay. It's just a bit of water.
2: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> very cold as well. I'll tell you that. Going to shock. Um, but. <laughs> But uh, you're sitting, you're sitting in front stops, and you've you've actually got your blades uh, feathered on the water, slightly angled up, so that the tide can pass underneath it. And uh, when the umpire calls go, uh, you very much you square up your oar as fast as you can, and keep your body as rigid as possible because the current's going so fast. If you're not rigid, then you'll get pulled almost like right forward beyond front stops, uh, well, full length. Um, so that's that's quite a unique aspect. That's something we have to practice quite a bit in the coming couple of weeks uh, to get that right and on time and uh, it's very interesting the first few times that I practiced it last year it was was, everyone was absolutely nowhere and it's kind of it's an interesting one you're picking up a load of water all of a sudden from a stationary position uh the nice thing though is that kind of gets you connected quite easily so you don't have to worry too much about that uh but to kind of answer your question Lawrence um about how important the start is it's it is it is obviously very important um you know as you noted before the race does go to the line more often than it does in the South African boat race and uh, I guess the most important thing is not to ever, you know, to expect any outcome really. Starts can sometimes be quite variable. Sometimes you go down. Last year, um, my reserve crew in the Isis boat, we went down by three quarters of a length and uh, we knew they had a fast start and I just remember thinking to myself, well, we've, we've trained for this, we've prepared for this. If anything, they've kind of overspent themselves and we're in a pretty strong position. Uh, so, I mean, the, the start is very important. You know, everyone wants to be up on the starts, uh, but we we do certainly do more so than I think and in the South African university road We prepare for for the entire race, uh, not just the first two days.
0: Yeah, and uh, well, you 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 touched a bit about it earlier. So, one of the great things about South Africa, from a rowing perspective, is the weather. We don't we don't have to deal with incredibly cold winters, or you know, we don't have to worry about just very temperamental conditions. Chat to us about you know your your adaptation to the weather in the uk because i mean we all know that it's 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 at times it's not ideal <laughs>
2: uh yeah i mean that's putting it lightly i guess <laughs> um i remember very clearly when i you know back in south africa at, at Stunt and we train out on the weekends at uct you know there'd be a, a cold morning every now and then and i'd try and wear leggings to keep warm but i, I just couldn't do it because it's kind of getting in the way and then after five minutes you overheat i've gone to a stage now where I, i'm kind of I, I'm not used to not having leggings. I kind of I'm very used to having them. And they keep me happy because they keep me warm. <laughs> uh, it's it's a, it is different. It took me a while to adapt, to be honest. The, the biggest thing is the sun. It's just there's not much sun going around. But the nice thing with rowing, obviously, is is it gets it forces you outdoors. I think the majority of other people who don't have something that forces them outdoors, uh, you know, they just sit indoors the whole time and and it's it's a bit average. But at least they're rowing, you know. If the weathers even if the weather's not great it forces you outdoors which I think is really healthy it is tough I mean I, I'm sure you guys would have seen on the news the snow that we had a couple of weeks and a couple of kind of blizzards <laughs> and that, that was quite interesting your hands just stay cold the entire time you kind of have to just get used to it and you know wear a beanie and a scarf and all that while you train
1: so if just talking about like the culture in, in the Oxford team is there an element that you would like to bring back that if you could if you could bring it and, and put it in a, in a South African uh, university or something that the, that your team does that you think is, is very unique or gives you a big advantage
2: um, yes that's a, that's a tough question I've, I've got to be careful about how I answer this again uh, yeah you of course too much. but uh, let, let me I'll, I'll answer it in two ways I think uh, one way I think which is very difficult to get right back home is uh, the level of application of science here is is quite high. We've got a very, we've got a world class physiologist who is uh, South African actually, he's brilliant. He, he, we do step tests which I'm sure you guys do as well and, and you know we, we train in zones and all that but each of us has a heart rate monitor and uh, we all, um, at, you know at a university level in South Africa none of us really had heart, or very few of us had heart rate monitors and we're actually monitoring our training in that sense. But I think when we're on the ERG, I think the biggest difference I've, I've felt here to my own personal training is applying the science, learned from the step tests, having a heart rate monitor, and just being strict to my own training. Back at UCT, for instance, or in South Africa in general, I think we all get quite competitive with each other. You sit on the ERG, you see your mate pulling certain splits, and you want to beat him. But at the end of the day, we've all got different physiologies. And I, I think one of the, the biggest things I would take back was to you know sit guys down and say, do not try and compete with your mate in the ERG. We'll do these tests. We'll give you a heart rate monitor. You need to train within your zone two, for instance, if you're developing aerobic capacity. And often that that training, depending on your physiology, you know, might be much slower splits than you're used to. And, and it took me a long time when I first came here, but I, I had to drop quite a number of splits just in my basic aerobic training for it to be effective. And I, I think that's why I saw such a big change. Uh, in my first and second five K early times is because I actually allow myself to step back a little bit. I didn't look at it you know, I wasn't trying to peek at anyone's screens while I was training. And I, I really allowed myself to get in the high volume, low intensity work, which which really made a big difference. And I, I think that kind of maturity and, and an application of science as such is is something that could go a long way if people took it and applied it. Uh, the second aspect I'd say is the psychological preparation that we get and I think it's it's very good. You know, we look at a lot of videos of previous years we talk about the race a lot we sit down it's something that we're thinking about all the time. Uh, we look at all the different outcomes you know for instance one year someone catches a crab, another year there's an Australian who jumps in the river and stops the race and I think all these conversations and these preparations for different outcomes get your subconscious ready for any outcome. so if on the day you know, there's a lot of noise there's a lot of people, something happens you just you absorb it and and you don't respond being flustered you're just very uh, very kind of prepared and and ready for any circumstance and I I think that goes quite a long way as well and that's that's an entire season-wide thing you're talking the whole time about different outcomes about what if there's a clash it's not just kind of like a day before let's have a quick team chat Uh, but it's something that really gets your mind ready for it so that you really are ready for it on the day
0: and well moving along with this the the chatting about the psychology Obviously, the, the rivalry between Oxford and Cambridge is a massive um, part of this race. I mean, it's, it's why it started in the first place. When you guys train, do you guys try and embrace that rivalry and, and let it motivate you in day-to-day practice? Or at times, do you try and take a step back and isolate yourself from the hype and the pressure and try to develop yourselves more personally?
2: Uh, absolutely. I mean, I, I think I think everyone embraces the rivalry. Uh, it's a bit of both, though. To be honest, I, you know, the, there is very much a contained, professional, composed aspect to it. And, you know, you can't be uh, emotional uh, on the water. You know, you've got to let that emotion drive you through the season. But when it comes to the actual clinical performance, you've, you've got to kind of almost put that stuff aside and let it motivate you, but from a very kind of internalized and composed way. But but in terms of uh, developing and embracing the rivalry, of you know. I felt that more so here than I even did back home. You know, like back home, you know, I'd see you guys at regattas and you know, we'd go and chats and we'd say what's up. It wouldn't be too long because obviously we were racing each other, but we at least kind of acknowledge each other. I think here yeah, there's there's more of a sense that we don't talk to each other. We don't, like, look at each other, no acknowledgement. Um, it's, it's quite interesting, but I, I really enjoy that aspect of it. I think it really kind of builds up a bit of a hype and makes the race, gives the race a bit of value as well. Um, and I, I think it's great, to be honest.
1: Yeah, so I want to go back because uh, I mean I really like what you're saying about the. It's basically just the professionalism of your team of training in the right zones so that you can gain the, the the right adaptations that you're looking for. And I think it is an element that teams in South Africa and I mean I know in the national team it's a lot like that. But I think going down into that that uh, university level, I think that that's where there's a huge amount of of gain to be to be to be made by just upping the professionalism back home and I think that's where we start to get a lot more athletes coming through the system at home
2: yeah yeah absolutely Um, you know it's, it's obviously it's it's uh, at the university level and at a school level even well I guess at a school level you're kind of more looking for guys who are highly motivated and so pushing hard is probably a sign of that but uh, at the university level for sure um, the, the problem obviously the limitation is, is endowment and, and if there isn't enough money to do these kind of tests for everyone to be able to monitor these things, take blood samples, then you are limited in that sense. But that being said, I mean, it takes a quick Google search to read up on heart rate zones, training zones. There are pretty generic ones that most people should be able to follow. And, you know, these these days, I think most people should be able to afford a heart rate monitor. So I think it's a small thing, a small change that could be made that could, you know, make these universities far more disciplined and, and uh, professional. And it's not really, it's not the program's fault it's it's more just the athletes understanding and and being disciplined about it. because I was even told about this stuff back when I was a UCT but I still I think tried too hard to be competitive with my buddies on the yoga. <laughs> that's my fault
1: yeah I would say it's the it's the coach's job to to establish that um, that element in the team because it's the athletes job to be competitive to 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 race anyone that comes up next to them and to to want to be the best all the time so I think it's it comes down to the coach educating the team on where the benefits of training are and because I mean it takes even we get guys out of school into into the national team and it takes a long time for them to learn that oh shit eh, actually not pulling as hard as I can every single stroke is is better for me in the long run than than uh, just going absolutely balls to the wall all the time
2: yeah I think that's fair I think that, that's that's a pretty good point um, you yeah, know yeah, one of the things I think that, that's that's worked well here is, is feeding back the science to the athletes and I think there are a lot of programs around the world where they do have an endowment and they do have the science um, maybe even some in, in some, some national teams but uh, they don't really feed that back to the athletes um, as much and, and allow the athletes to be smart and, and kind of encourage them to, to take ownership of of the I guess the professional side of, the, of their own training program and yeah you're absolutely right I think there definitely should be more of a top-down approach as well
0: yeah, William, so ch- changing the, the tact of the conversation a bit, you are at Oxford University and um, you're rowing at the rowing club, but um, also, more, almost more importantly, you're studying at Oxford as well. Chat to us, chat to us a bit about the balance of, of, of studying. And
2: um, That's a good question. Uh, balance would be, um, geez, I wish I could use that word, Uh, There isn't much of a balance. Um, I obviously do keep the academic side going because I I have a bottom line to meet there. I said to myself last year following the boat race that if I I were to do it again, I would do it to make the blue boats. And if I were to do that, I would do anything to do that. Um, And that's kind of been my approach the entire year. So there are, you know, I wish I could have, and I have kept my academics going, but uh, I have allowed it to kind of take a little bit of a side to the rowing. Uh, I've definitely prioritized the rowing. But uh, it is is an interesting challenge. Uh, um, You know, we're training twice a day, every day, apart from our off day. So it just requires kind of being well managed. Uh, One of the things that I kind of committed to doing this year, you know, in in terms of my endeavor of of making the crew and making the race was to maintain my sleep as as an essential part of recovery. Uh, That's something that I allowed to kind of slip back when I was, Back home in South Africa, so, so I'd keep my academics. I'd, I'd work late into nights, get up in the morning, and and train. And I'd I'd be running on very little sleep, which is not great for recovery. But but certainly here, yeah, you know, you've, you've got to structure your day between sessions. You've got about three or four hours. You sit down, do some reading. Come back in the evening, read a little bit more. Uh, make sure you're in bed by between 10 and 11 Get up again and do it all again. So
1: um, it's, it's uh, so just challenge. to yeah. to interrupt you there, I mean, you did say that you have a rest day. Is that every week?
2: Uh, yeah, more or less. Um are we, what's well, kind of more like a personal recovery day. I, okay. I don't wanna to go too too much. So you guys are not
1: training not. you're not training that hard then. <laughs> you having a little rest every week.
2: Uh no <laughs> we are, believe me, I mean I, I don't think it would compare with what you guys do in the senior national team. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, wait, but do you guys not take a rest there? Well, well
1: once every
0: six weeks we have a rest. <laughs> <time>. <laughs> and um william what what's the attitude of the university and the boat club regarding this element of the training because you know at the end of the day you can't have you can't have um students not bunking classes and actually not going to class but there's like you said on the other side of the coin someone's got to select the boat and the fastest people are going to be in the boat and you have to do what you can to be in that boat do the coaches um try and um uh, allow the studies in or does the university acknowledge what you're doing and also try and compensate for it
2: it really comes down to the individual to manage that as well as they can and you know obviously the, the coach is, is never going to if you've got you know i don't know a tutorial that's important or a lab session and you tell the coach like i can't make this afternoon session he he's very supportive of that kind of thing but at the end of the day if you're doing that three times a week you're not putting yourself in a very strong position um, and it's more likely you're not going to make the cut or make the team that you wanted to make. And we kind of put pressure on each other. It doesn't come from the coach. The coach is very kind of very respectful of that side of it. Uh, we, it kind of comes more from the guys within the team. We work very hard to shift our timetables around. The nice thing about the program in, in Oxford is, well, certainly from an undergrad point of view, is, is that the tutorial system is very intimate. So, for instance, often I'll have one-on-one tutorials with my tutor, and I can shift my time quite easily to a time that's suitable. Uh, so, so from that point of view, it's, it's a lot more flexible than what I was used to back home, You know, where we've got a very rigid and strict time of tutorials you have to make. You do have to make your tutorials, which is, which is important, and, and the university does maintain that. They won't allow us to kind of miss things, and you will get kind of kicked out if you don't maintain some sort of academic performance. But certainly I, I think you know, if, if, you, if you're doing a degree that is very time intensive, and doesn't allow you to make the training, uh, you're not really in a position to be able to be competitive in the team. And, and I think it's down to the athletes really to manage their time.
1: Okay. Sounds very similar to our tax system here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, wish. Um, I want to ask, so obviously now the race is coming up, what are the big uh, challenges you think you're going to face um, from Cambridge? And yeah, how do you think that, uh, how, how does the team perceive the race as, as playing out?
2: Yeah, it's uh, I mean, they're a big, big crew this year. You'll see on the on the website. I think they've got about a, a four and a half kilograms average on us.
1: Yeah, and six uh, so centimeters on height as well.
2: Yeah, they're quite a bit taller than us as well. You know that, that presents a challenge. Obviously, I think pushing on from five kilograms and higher, that's when you start to look a bit dire. So fortunately, we're beneath that number. But they're a good crew, and they've they've had some good results this year. I think they're very confident. But you know we've we've had equally good results. Uh, we are a smaller crew. Oxford has got a history of lightweight crews punching through and winning, so you know we're we taking that history and that legacy with us. Um, and you know I'm just really excited. I think the fixtures that we've had between you know Aston Brooks and Cambridge and Brooks and us and UL and, and Cambridge and UL reveal that uh, it seems like we're pretty level at the moment. So hopefully we're in for a crack of a race. And I back my crew to the end of the world, and I think we're going to have a crack of a race. Uh, but we certainly are aware of the opposition. We, we know what they are like. They've got the monster in the four-seat James Letton uh, I don't know if you guys see any he's the tallest yeah, race.
0: We had a we had a we had a little bit of a, a laugh at how massive this guy was.
2: Yeah, it would have actually been quite funny because they've they've buckets rigged him to have him following one of the other siders, but if they hadn't done that, uh, he and I would have shook hands and weighed in next to each other, which would have been quite comical. I think there would have been a, a larger than twenty K kilogram difference between the two of us. <laughs>
0: so i take it you've watched uh quite a bit of boat races in the past are are there any any of them that stand out for you or any of them that you would like to try emulate
2: for sure um you know what was it i think it was the 2003 boat race yes
0: Yes, that was with the brothers
2: yeah (laughs) um you know that's that just says it all really you know no matter where you are things can change and uh it's I think that kind of race is the kind of one we should all think about the most because it really resembles that It, it can go down to the line and it can be really really tight over, over What pretty much is a six point eight seven k stretch of river that one's a big one um, 2015 one is a good one. I really enjoy watching that uh, That's where Stan Leloudis was striking it
1: Yeah, That was so, a really class performance from Oxford that yeah.
2: Yeah, it was. It was. Uh, I mean, that was an all-star team, and uh, I just think that the quality of rowing, the rhythm, the style that they are going through all the way through from start to finish. I mean, if you look at like Stan Lewis, he's he's like a metronome. He's just so on it, and it's just a, a very good display of rowing. So I quite enjoyed that one.
1: Well, I really, um, I, I really hope that your your race ends up like that and is 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 really uh, one one way one way traffic down the <laughs> down the <laughs> course because that'll be great. I've been an Oxford uh, okay. fan always. Not only uh, since you've been racing there, because my grandfather raced at oh not in a race, but he definitely was at uh, Oxford. And yeah, really, really cool to, to see a
0: South African representing in the crew there. Thanks a lot. So, well, after this, what what are your plans for the future after you finish this this year's boat race? Do you have another? Do you have another year of studying, or what, what's going to happen?
2: Um, Jake, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure yet. So this is my final year of studying. And I'm still kind of planning out the future from here. Uh, yeah, I can't. I don't really have that much of an idea, so I can't really go into much detail on that. I'm afraid.
1: Yeah, I mean, know what it's I, like when there's when there's a big race coming up. Then there's nothing beyond that race. Your your life ends at the the start of the big race, so you can't really even yeah. worry about anything that's happening afterwards.
2: Yeah. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Okay, well, and then we're gonna move into uh, quick fire questions. These are questions that Ooh. we ask every guest on the show. Well, he um, he's yeah. listened to the show, so I'm sure he's heard some of yeah,
1: the. Yeah, uh, of course. Quick so fire I, questions. I've,
0: I've taken. It you've heard some of the quick fire questions before.
2: I've heard a couple,
0: yeah. 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 So, so starting, so starting out, if you had to rate, if you had to race any boat class at the Olympic Games, which one would it be? The
2: eights, for sure. Uh, no, I've always loved the eights. It's it's where the boys are at. Um, you know, I think it's just it's a great atmosphere. It's a, it's always great to have a big team and i, I just love that that part of, of the the racing environment
1: okay and then our next quick uh, quickfire question is if you could choose any three people from from any time or anywhere in the world uh, to just row in a four with uh, who would those three people three people be
2: yeah uh i'd say rob udell as one early inspiration of mine I, I want to change my facebook name on on to Will Waddell Cahill
0: so, <laughs> that's
2: great it <laughs> has to, to be him in time another two let's think jumping a four Stan Leloudis I think would be one just because we'd put him in the stroke seats and it would be unreal um, I, I really really think he's, he's an exceptional oarsman um, and uh, I think it would make things a lot easier for us to find that rhythm uh, final one see I'm deliberately not picking South Africans here because I don't want to make any enemies <laughs> <laughs> Let's think. Like, yeah, I guess it'd probably be down to between Bond and Murray. We'd let them trial for a seat in the boat. <laughs> yes, that
0: would be. I think that would be interesting putting the two of them against each other.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, presuming that they can both row either side, I guess.
0: Yeah, well, and well, moving on to the next one, uh, what is your favourite rowing race that you find yourself watching over and over again?
2: Um, the lighty four from from London, where uh, our boys took it, is is. Cracker to watch. I love watching that. Uh, yeah, I'd say that's it. That and the two thousand and three boat race are the, are the two things I enjoy watching the most.
1: Yeah, those are really good um, picks. Those are, are definitely high. Up. Both of those races are some of the best rowing races from all time. So you're doing very well there. Yeah, uh, oh, With your choices. <laughs> then I don't know if you want to give it away, but we would really like to know your 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 PBs or PRs on the on the erg. And you said that you've taken a huge chunk of time off your 5K, so we'd love to know what that is.
2: Jeez, <laughs> um, yeah. So for my, my 5K, I'm down in the, in the, the 16 teams. Uh, I'd hope to be a bit lower than that now. Uh, my 2K uh, is around kind of close to 6. Just I don't want to give too much away. You're getting
0: pretty quick there, Will. Getting close to 6 minutes on the 2K is quite impressive.
2: <laughs> okay,
0: and then the last question is if you had to choose a different sport to go to the olympics what sport would that be and why
2: um so having listened to aj's podcast it's exactly the same answer and seeing as they're introducing surfing it would hands down be surfing uh the reason is you know i'm from cape town and i surfing is the other sport that i love and i, I love getting out there as much as possible it's just very athletic. A lot of fun and, and great to be out in the environment so it's it's an easy one for me definitely surfing
0: i think i i assume being in england that's that m- not much of that has happened
2: <laughs> drives me crazy yeah
0: oh, i'm sure anyway so thanks thanks for being on the show well it's been an epic interview and like lauren said earlier we both will be supporting you in in the boat um come the 24th of march and i'm sure your your old rowing club in Cape Town will be you know rooting for you the whole way. Um, but thanks so much for being on the show, and we look for, forward to watching you in action.
1: Yeah, and I mean the the Oxford Cambridge Boat Race is such a big event around the world for rowing, and it's just really really cool for us to to say that we we have a South African in the boat. So yeah, really good luck. I hope you smash that thing. Just remember, it's Oxford's year. Yes, it is.
2: Uh, no, I just want to say thanks so much for having me and, uh, and and you know it's it's really great what you guys are doing I think this show is fantastic and uh, I really you guys are doing great stuff with South African Rang so thanks so much for, for having me on here and for creating these things you know you guys have both been doing a lot not only on the row show but off the road show as well and it's it's really great to get the brand out there so, so thanks a lot and well done on that
0: Hey, it's Jake and Lawrence again. If you're enjoying the show, please share it and let your friends know about it. Also, don't be afraid to leave a comment telling us what you liked, what you didn't like, or any ideas that you have for the show. And you can leave that at theroshowsa at gmail.com.
1: That's the RoshowSA at gmail.com you can also find us on facebook and contact us there if you just search the Ro show or on instagram uh, where the tag is at row show sa you can find us on instagram uh, i'm at britain l, so that's britain underscore l
0: and you can find jake at at jake Malton green or lowercase or one word you can also find any info or links on this week's episode in our show notes below thanks for listening in thanks for listening in we're out i think we're good with that hey? that was fucking sounding good, yeah. dude.